0: Let's open up our Bibles to Luke 1. We will start in the 26th verse. I will read to 56. Take one moment. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived of a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called the barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And blessed is he, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from her, spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you for the testimony of Scripture, Father God, that is always illuminating, encouraging, strengthening. Pointing, giving us direction, giving us understanding, removing the darkness and bringing us into a greater light of your magnificence and of your glory and of your holiness and of your plan of redemption of which Mary and us are part of, Father. God, let us peer into Mary's glory. Let us see this woman of faith, Father God, today. Let us recognize the elements of true faith of the pious, pure, poor, Father God. And let us too, Father God, be encouraged by Mary's song about Mary's life and her faith, Father God. Truly, God, let us see the beauty and elegance of your servant, Mary. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Tonight we will look at the Bible's teaching about the Virgin Mary and to appreciate her for her contribution to our faith. Of course, before we do that, we must take a moment to speak about Roman Catholicism's elevation of Mary beyond biblical proportions to a place where we can't even recognize her no more, Uh, never mind she's approachable, but to truly not understand who she is. Mary's contribution to the faith is magnificent, absolutely breathtaking, when it's understood in its context and biblical understanding. It is important for us. It's unfortunate that you can go for many years in a Protestant service, in an evangelical service, and hear very little of anything about Mary's faith and her obedience and her purity and her her love for the Lord and her love for redemption. And we're going to see that in her song today. She had a love for redemption. She loved God's work in other people's lives. That's what it means. And it's important for us to see this, to almost dethrone Mary so I can understand who she really is. And this is really important, and my evaluation will be brief, and I want to get into the heart of who she is and what the Bible lays out for us so we can really see uh, the the, the beauty of Mary and the transparency of her heart and, and, and sort of take a step back from the distorted view the world has over the last 1,500 years of who she is and to really see just how magnificent this young virgin's faith was. Her whole life was put on the line. When the angel came to Mary he was basically saying the world is going to shun you but let it be done she said according to that word. Mary's faith is extraordinary for a young virgin girl extraordinary and that's the Mary of the Bible. That's the Mary that speaks to our heart today. That's the Mary I can identify with. That's the Mary that says that, that encourages me to go on and follow the Lord. Unfortunately, within Roman Catholicism and its dogma about Mary, there's four main teachings about Mary. There is her Immaculate Conception. There is her Perpetual Virginity. There is an assumption into heaven and right now a meditatory intercession for sinners, all based on very flimsy verses of scripture four to be sure Luke one verse twenty eight says "Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you luke one forty two says Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb verse forty three says As Elizabeth says, her aunt, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In Mary's own words in verse 48, for behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. From these verses, Catholic theologians over 1,500 years has developed what stands now as firm doctrine to be observed and believed. Even some Uh, say that if you don't believe in the Assumption of Mary, you cannot be saved. This is how serious this is. And let me explain how this legend grew, how their reasoning goes. It's it's called deduction theology. You might have never heard that before. But back in the 200 AD, 300 AD era, uh, there was a term that theologians use, uh, and it was called the Mother of God. The Theotokos, and what that stands for is not so much the awesomeness of Mary. They actually phrase the Mother of God to point to the deity of Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ was under attack greatly by two different cults, by two different streams. There was one stream that said Jesus—he was only a spirit, but he wasn't a man. He wasn't flesh. He was an apparition of of, the, of a spirit. He came in bodily form, but he really wasn't a body. And then there was another side, and the other extreme and they said that he was he was only human but he wasn't divine. So to counter this, they came up with Mary the mother of God, it points to his humanity and it pointed to his deity. But over the centuries, Catholic theologians, what they did to that, they added to that. They deduced that if she is the mother of God, then it would only be natural that Jesus, who's the only son who ever had his mother, he, he, he picked his own mother, then he has all the grace to, to keep her, what, immaculate, to keep her from original sin. So they deduced from the mother of God, which they took out of context, and they said, well, if she is the mother of God, that really points to Christ, deity, not to her glory, then... Then she must be sinless. And as the centuries went on, they figured, well, uh, she must keep her perpetual virginity because uh, 2,000 years ago, in the Greek understanding, the flesh was evil and only the spirit was good. And they deduced, Greek philosophy, that s- uh, sex was what? Dirty. How sad so to to keep her from any stain they, they 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 set her perpetual virginity as though there's something wrong between sex between a loving husband and a loving wife that God created very good so that's where the perpetual virginity came from and then the assumption came the assumption into heaven because if the son was assumed into heaven we can deduce what The mother was assumed into heaven. That doctrine only came into being, it it floated around for many centuries, but it really, it it wasn't dogma until 1950. It it, it was there for a while, but it wasn't until 1950 that they, they confirmed that as doctrine. Even to the point now that you have to sort of believe in that to be saved. This is so unfortunate. It really is. And for most of us, we grow up in that. We grow up in that. We're pointed to that. Mommy did it. Our grandmothers did it. We're pointed in a direction. We don't question it. We don't read the Bible. We're not allowed to ask and we follow this. But really what it does, it takes me away from the Mary of the Bible who points me to Jesus and puts me in contact with somebody I can't identify with. And it it takes me away from Christ. It doesn't bring me closer to Christ. We believe in that their desire to do proper homage to Mary. Unfortunately, Catholic theologians have diminished her true beauty and wealth and contribution to the people of faith. And I'll follow along with me. It's in Mary's heart, as a human being, and faith in God where her true value lies, her true value lies not in her greatness and her glory that she can hear prayers and answer prayers and intercede for us. Or her immaculate conception or perpetual virginity or assumption into heaven. Her, her true value lies in how much she loved God. And that encourages the believer today. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of Of the Lord, let it be according to Thy word. Every true believer should have that echoed in our own hearts. We should all, Paul calls us, bond slaves of the Lord, and we should all be so quick to follow Christ, the way Mary followed the angels. Mary, the story of Mary really starts in the city of Nazareth of Galilee. That's where the beauty of this young woman of faith really starts. It's in Nazareth of Galilee. In Jewish history not much good commentary is spoken about either of these places either Galilee or Nazareth Galilee was a, a section of Palestine and Nazareth was a city uh, or a town there the Galileans had a, a terrible reputation. Galileans had a, a reputation of being impulsive but also generous They were of simple manners and had great piety. They they loved God, they loved holiness, but they had intense nationalism. And besides that, they were excitable, they were passionate, but also violent and quarrelsome. That's what Galileans were known as. Uh, They loved God more than they loved money. They weren't concerned with money. They were concerned with true piety. The Galileans' reputation in all of uh, of Palestine was not good they were obscure in the north they had a simple education they spoke poorly uh, they, they were not well trained and they, they, did, they had this sort of low view of learning the Hebrew language and if you remember what the, the slave girl said to Peter <clears throat> are you not also a Galilean because she heard the way he was. And wasn't he impulsive and passionate and violent and he wanted to cut the guy's ear off? And didn't he say everybody else is going to leave you, but not me, I won't forsake you. He was self-deceived. Well, the Galileans had this kind of passionate, zealous, impulsive faith in God. It was real. It needed to be tamed a little bit. But it was genuine and it was real and they were poor. They were the pious poor. Nazareth was no better what Galilee was to Palestine Nazareth was to Galilee remember Nathaniel's words about Jesus can anything good come out of Nazareth that was a proverb of the day that was like you gotta be kidding me the Messiah is coming out of Nazareth that's unheard of even though the scriptures say he shall be called a Nazarene They couldn't comprehend that the Christ was going to come out of Nazareth. So here's the angel coming to a young virgin, not just in Galilee, but in Nazareth. And that's where they found true faith. They didn't find it in the courts of uh, of Herod. They didn't find it in, in the Pharisees. The true faith God was looking for was found in the humble state of this young girl. How important that is that God shows no partiality. They were looking for the big all-star to usher in Messiah. They were looking for a somebody God could use. And Mary's like, he considered the estate of his humble servant. She's blown away, like, who am I? Who am I? This is Mary's background. It's important for us to know that. People in Nazareth, were. they had a bad reputation on morals. And religion. But yet, it was in this place that God found a true Jewish girl that loved him and loved his word and obeyed his word. This is Mary's background. This is her true worth and contribution. It's found in the negative context she grew up in, the negative historical context. You would think, well, God could never find true faith in Galilee. God could never try and find true faith in Nazareth. But it's in this context that he found Mary who was still pure in heart. Mary was poor. She was culturally poor. She was educationally poor. And she was financially poor. Even when they bring Jesus to the temple, what was the temple price she bring? Two turtle doves. That's all she had. But though she might have been poor financially, culturally, and educationally, she was not poor spiritually. She was of the pious poor. These are the people that learned to 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 love God and depend on God, no, no matter how tough the circumstances around her were. She was a woman that trusted in God, a young girl. She worshipped God from a pure heart. She was spiritually rich. That's a Mary I can... Understand, that's a Mary that can stir me up. That's a Mary that I can say, Praise God. Her heart was set on God. Her heart and mind was set on the promises of God. You and I might not think that's a commodity, but I can tell you right now, God knows everybody in this room whose heart is set on Him. That's a commodity. He's not concerned who's giving a big check. He's not concerned who's driving this car. He's not concerned who's living where. He's not concerned about who's writing all the books. He's not concerned about who's filling the stadiums. He's not concerned about who has the big name. He knows those who are pure in heart. He shows no partiality to man. And Mary was such a believer in her day. Long before Jesus Christ ever took up his residence in this young virgin's womb, there was something already alive in Mary. It was the Jewish faith. A Jewish faith that was locked into the promises and covenants that God made with his ancient people. She was living out a life of a simple childlike faith in the promises of God. This young girl was rich on the inside rich with God, rich with his word, rich with his promises. Just a young virgin girl dreaming about her life to come with Joseph. She was betrothed. She was engaged. She was married without the consummation yet. But she was married. She was keeping herself pure from the surrounding influences of the culture she lived in. Mary had a simple trust in God, but understand this, please. Don't mix up a simple trust with God, Would be naive and simple-minded. This young virgin girl was far from naive. She was far from simple-minded. On the contrary, she had a profound mind. And she was a th- deep thinker. And she was a young woman of courage in a tough cultural time. She was courageous. When Mary said, let it be done according to me, let it be done to me according to thy word, she was fully aware of the implications morally and theologically. She understood, as Matthew tells us, that once Joseph found out, he decided to divorce her quietly. She knew when she said amen, it was going to cost her reputation. And she had no time for wiggle room. She had to leave her reputation. She had to leave her life in the hands of Almighty God. That's faith. That's a Mary that touches my heart. That's a Mary that gets me to turn away from the culture and turn towards God no matter what people think about me. That's a Mary that stirs up a life of faith. She didn't care about the suspicion. She didn't care about the shame. Yeah, I'm sure she was concerned to a certain degree, but she was more concerned about let it be done according to thy word, no matter how much it was going to cost. I could hear the family saying, oh, yeah, an angel came to you. (laughs) After seven months, pregnant. did you hear this one? (laughs) (laughs) They didn't consummate the marriage, did they? No, an angel came think about it she stuck to her guns she didn't try to convince Joseph guess who did an angel Gabriel came to to Joseph in a dream met him and said you take her for for the child in her is of the Holy Spirit she didn't run around trying to jockey around God made me pregnant come on now She was courageous. That's the kind of faith I need to hear. When I hear Mary, that speaks to me. That speaks life to me. That gives me hope in my own little world. Living out my faith in God. When people are saying, the Bible says. You're doing it because the Bible says. But she had a profound mind theologically. When Elizabeth said, and blessed is he. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What do you think Elizabeth meant? Do you think she, Elizabeth meant, blessed are you because you believed you were going to get pregnant? No. Don't think that way. This is what it meant. She was speaking about the things the angel said about Jesus' ministry. Blessed are you that you believed. And the ongoing work of redemption. Blessed that you believe that your son would be great. That your son would be the son of the most high. That he would sit on the throne of his father David. That he would reign forever. And his kingdom would have no end. That is what Mary believed in. That is what made her great. When everybody else was going about their business. When everybody else was going about their life. It was Mary's mind and heart were locked into the promises of God. So should us. That's no surprise. Mary always believed in the promises of God. Mary was no newcomer. When the angel came to Mary, he wasn't looking for someone who didn't have no faith. She already had faith. She was obeying God simply because she was a Jewish girl who loved God and obeyed God. She already had simple faith. She didn't turn it on. All the angel turned to me, and now all of a sudden I'll become holy. Now all of a sudden I'll believe. She already was a believer. She already gave it all up for the Lord. She stood in a long line of believers. She believed that the Messiah was coming with all his promises. And that that was more important than... Her being his mother The promises that Messiah was coming Was more important to Mary Than Mary being the mother of Messiah Don't miss it It's more important to Mary that a Redeemer was coming into the world Not that she was the mother of the Redeemer But that hope and light and life Was coming to a sinful world That's Mary's faith That's a Mary that stirs me on that's a Mary that speaks life. In her song of praise, it had components of a personal praise, yes. It had some of God using her. God's grace towards her. But more important, it had, it had the components of a love for Israel. And the whole world, the whole Abrahamic covenant the blessing that the whole world would be blessed through abraham that's where mary's heart was this wasn't mary walking around i'm the mother of god i'm the mother of god i'm the mother of god this is mary saying a redeemer is coming god is faithful listen everybody god is coming the messiah is here rejoice lift up your heads O israel that's what mary was concerned for not her own glory her own reputation sure she was able to say all generations would call me blessed of course and she deserves the honor and we deserve to give her that honor there's no more important ministry in the bible outside of christ than mary he she has a number one spot in ministry we don't think about it she didn't preach she didn't write music She didn't do this, no, but God is the one that chose her to carry the Son of God. And in that, both Catholics and Protestants need to step back and say, praise God. She had a legitimate, real ministry for God. Not that she merited it. She had sin like everybody else. But God, by grace, chose the humble one who had faith. And he still does today. But not just that. Mary had a strong reflective mind. Three times we see in scripture attributed to Mary a reflective mind. In 129 it said she pondered these things. In 219 it says she treasured these things in her heart. And in 251 it says to keep these things treasured in her heart. When Mary heard something, she she valued what God had to say. Collectively, they show a young woman astute. Don't miss this. Collectively, they show a young woman who is astute in listening for the greater implication of what was said. This wasn't all the angel came to me. The angel came. How many people have told me they had visions? They had angels, they had visions, they had prophecies. You know, guess who's the center of it? Themselves. Themselves. Listen, I got a whole Bible to read. I don't need to hear about your dream. That's all about yourself. I got 66 books that point me to God. I think that's more important. Now you're over here, you give me, you see Mary wasn't about, she was listening for the greater implication, she was thinking about the whole world was going to be blessed, blessed, she was treasuring these truths up in her heart, they shaped her life, she knew she had a ministry of raising the Messiah, you might not understand what it meant To raise the Messiah. But if you understood what a mother's role was in the Old Testament. To raise their children in the way. For the first five years it was the father that did it. Then after that the mother took the role. And taught the children. The things of God. When Jesus was in the temple at 12 years old. Do you remember what happened? He was confounding the biblical scholars of their day. With his questions and answers. They were amazed. Who do you think taught him? Mary Mary taught him. Mary sat down day to day and taught (laughs) him the scriptures. It was her job. It was her role. Mary takes a back seat. God was on the move. And Mary was part of it. In Mary's song of praise, we see a self-evaluation. She saw that she was the recipient of great, great grace. She calls herself of humble estate. Though she rejoiced and magnified the Lord in soul and spirit, and knew she would be called blessed amongst women from generation to generation because she's the Messiah's mother. And that the Mighty One has done great things for her, yet she never lost sight that it was all for the glory and honor of God. God was at stake, not her. In verses 50 to 55, Mary's mind and heart now turns to the greater implications of what the angel said. God blesses all in some way of those who fear him and those who who say amen to his word. God always elevates the humble. He shows no partiality. He's doing that today. If you say in your heart, God send me, guess what? He's going to use you. I don't know what he's going to use you for, but he's going to use you. And she also recognized that he's opposed to the prideful. But unfortunately, the prideful don't see it. But the humble do. She says he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She goes on to say he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate. Where is she getting this? Where is she getting this? This is theologically astute. She's she's zeroed in on the godly old testament. She goes on to say he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She's looking at herself. I'm I'm a young virgin girl in a town of Nazareth in the north in Galilee. I'm, I'm 200 miles away from Jerusalem and you're choosing me. Why do I have to offer God? That's the very attitude God needs. That's the very attitude God is looking for. And that the humble, dependent on God that's what it means to be humble it's not about having money and not having money you can be poor and be as prideful as anybody and you can be filthy rich and be a humble human being the humble are those who are dependent on God they're exalted here by being part of God's work in the world he has filled the poor with good things Mary says She's taken it all in. She's, she's seen who she is. She's seen I'm just a young girl in Galilee, in Nazareth, and my heart is exploding. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. The world's going to be blessed. He's choosing me, a, a woman, a virgin, a humble estate. He's choosing me for the whole world to be blessed. Her mind is blown away by the awesomeness of God who fills the poor with good things. There is no greater thing than God for the poor. The poor are filled when their hearts are set on God. God loves humility. God loves those who are dependent on him. Those who do his will. And she closes with something. Her song closes with God's faithfulness to Israel and remembering his promise to Abraham. Think listen to this young girl's mind she's going back thousands of years to Abraham she knows the whole plan of redemption this young Jewish girl knows her Bible and she loves the God of the Bible and she knows it understand something this is a Mary I can relate to. This is a Mary I can admire. This is a Mary I can learn from. This is a Mary that, can, that excites my faith. Her mind was saturated in scripture at a young age. This is a Mary that touches my mind and touches my heart. She encourages me onward to remain faithful. Instead of me speaking to Mary, Mary speaks to us through her life. Though she's dead, she still speaks. She gets us to look back to God, to remind, to remind us that it's about humility, to look to God, to his faithfulness. She looked to his faithfulness. She looked to his words. She looked to his promises. It gives us hope in the dark culture we live in. This is inspiration at its best. Mary's beauty and elegance and power aren't found up there in the stratosphere as the Queen of Heaven or the Immaculate Conception or the Perpetual Virginity or the Assumption or her praying for sinners. But her elegance and her beauty and her power are right down here in the pages of the Bible. They speak loud. They speak clear. God loves the humble in heart. And he's willing to use them. That's the Mary of the Bible. When it comes to application, it's straightforward. Straightforward. Though she was socially insignificant, culturally insignificant, financially insignificant, educationally insignificant, except for her biblical training, yet she believed Pedigree, pedigree has nothing to do with pleasing God. Did you know that? I mean? <clears throat> nothing at all. Pedigree has nothing to do with pleasing God. <clears throat> God shows no partiality to men. I don't think you and I are going to be called to carry the Son of God in our wombs, but aren't we called to carry His message in our hearts? Doesn't 2 Corinthians 4 7 say, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is God and not of ourselves? We might not carry Messiah, but we carry the gospel of Messiah. In God's eyes, it's the same. It's the same. And if Mary could say anything today, she would tell us what she told the disciples. <coughs> Go fetch it. He's going to do something. He's going to turn water into wine. Listen to my son. Listen to my son. There are times in all of Christian life, like Mary, we have to bear the shame and shun by others who hold us in suspicion. An angel told you, come on, Mary. An angel told you. You're pregnant because an angel told, and I'm supposed to believe that, Mary? Oh. And you're keeping yourself for a, a Christian man? You're not going to have sex until you're married because the Bible says so? And Christians are scorned today for virginity, they're scorned today to, to remain absent for the Lord. To remain sexually pure. And the culture laughs at us like the culture laughed at Mary. Because the Bible says, yes, because the Bible says, we might as well say an angel told me. Because they're going to laugh at us anyway. Shouldn't you taste it before you marry it? The Bible says, no, you should trust him before you marry anybody. And the culture laughs at us. Bible believers. Same faith as Mary. And like Mary, we need an honest evaluation of ourselves in this world. And to recognize and enjoy our place that God has assigned for us. More is not always better. Humility is in, in the eyes of God. Mary was of humble estate. Can we say such things? Do we have a mind like Mary? Do we ponder and cherish biblical truth the way she did? Is the Bible and what it says just something to come and just camp around for 45 minutes on Sunday? Or is it something that lives in our hearts? Does the second coming of Christ live in your heart? Does it live in your heart that you're called more than conquerors? Does it live in your heart that you can do more, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Does it live in your heart that you can put the the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Does it live in your heart that to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, is life? Does it live in us? That He will never leave us nor forsake us? It lived in Mary's heart. Let it live in our hearts. And like Mary, we need to really rejoice in what God has done. We need to rejoice. Listen to what James 2 5 says. Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Do we rejoice just in the fact that we're saved? Do we rejoice in the fact that we're loved by God? Do we rejoice in the fact that our sins are forgiven? Do we rejoice in the fact that God has given us his spirit? Do we rejoice in the fact that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Do we rejoice in the fact that the righteous will never beg for bread? Do we rejoice in the fact that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world? Do we rejoice in the fact that we're co-heirs with Christ? Do we rejoice in the fact that we will reign for Christ forever? Do we rejoice in the fact that, yes, we will judge angels? Do we rejoice in the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control and humility? Against these things there is no law. Do we rejoice in the fact that we're new creations? Do we rejoice in the fact that people scorn us and persecute us? Because we're Christians. Do we rejoice in knowing that our great is our reward in heaven? For such they persecuted the prophets that went before you. This is a Mary that gets under my skin. She gets into my heart. She directs my life. And I don't pray to Mary, but I'll tell you something now. Mary speaks to me every day through the pages of Scripture. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your servant. We thank you for your servant's song. We thank you, Father God, for truth that liberates, truth that elevates, truth that empowers, truth that magnifies you in our lives, Father God. Thank you for the testimony of scripture about this humble maidservant that risked life and reputation to honor you. And she still speaks to us today in Jesus name.